All right, Tony Davis is here. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Doing very good, very good. Um, thanks for uh, coming on and offering to share your story. You are a uh, CBC journalist. Uh, we met uh, a little while ago. We did a story about this podcast about a year ago, and uh, we also kind of just seen each other around uh, the uh, the comedy shows and stuff. I think you went up a few times on occasion. Yeah, yeah. Give it a shot. Maybe, allegedly. Yeah, I, I used it to. Uh, the myth. I, I used it so uh, whenever I was getting prepared to do some like on-camera video journalism, um, uh, to kind of like you know get the idea of being in front of a, a camera in front of a crowd. So that was that's the hardest thing. That's a tough thing to do, man. It's it's impressive that you get up and do comedy. It was it was a lot of pressure. Interesting. Yeah. So did you think it helped? And what what was your experience like? Yeah, it helped. Um, my experience doing comedy, ah, man, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever do it again. It didn't really give me that like spark that I see it gives, you know, other people like you and some of the other people in the comedy scene on PEI that I've interviewed, you know. Um, I don't know. And I see right. that it helps you. It helps a lot of you. Uh, you work through, you know, some some uh, mental health stuff, some mental health traumas and things like that. And it's just uh, I don't feel like I, I get it out maybe the, the same way, you know, right. but uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. We're all, uh, we're all working through something up there for sure. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you, uh, we talked a little bit about, um, your story. Um, but, uh, you can just jump right into it wherever you like and we can go from there. All right. Um, well, I guess, you know, I kind of want to chat a little bit about, you know, uh, grief, resilience, turning some things into, you know, uh, to, to positive, things i guess um so I, I don't even know where to start really you know i uh, i grew up on the island uh, grew up here my whole life um my family's uh, mostly from you know newfoundland and labrador some of first generation uh, islander but um anyway make a long story short you know um uh, my my upbringing wasn't wasn't uh, all that terrible i guess uh, i would say you know i've heard of a lot of people who've had it worse but um you know, my mom had me at a very young age. She was uh, 17. So essentially for, for a long time, I was uh, raised by uh, my grandparents and stuff like that until she kind of um, took on that responsibility a little bit more in, in her 20s. Um, but I guess like starting out, um, some of uh, the, the things I faced uh, talking about mental health and talking about uh, trauma in general is, um, you know, whenever I was younger, uh, my mom and I weren't that connected. Um she was a victim of, you know, domestic violence whenever I was, you know, very young, um, which I think very uh, early shaped, shaped my outlook. You know, um, at one point, I remember one of my uh, earliest uh, memories was uh, was uh, somebody had uh, one of her, you know, partners at the time or something like that. I'm not sure what the story is behind it, had uh, broken into my grandparents' house while it was just me and her there, um, you know, and... Uh, Basically, you know, chased her down the hallway. She hid in the bathroom while uh, this person was outside with me, you know, standing over me while I was kind of, you know, wondering what was going on and, and stuff like that. So um, it, it always uh, created this kind of uh, disconnect between my uh, between my mom and I. Um, and I think that uh, it really started to come to light and uh, bothered me whenever she uh, whenever she did uh, pass. Um, you know, she she died uh, due to. Uh, I guess it was uh, linked to, you know, opiate use, drug use, stuff like that. Right. So has that been something she was doing like all those years? Like you talk about the boyfriend coming in and 
um like yeah no she, she wasn't uh you know she wasn't um she struggled with mental health her whole life i guess i would say um so she had some anxiety she had some depression uh, stuff like that but uh she never let um, any of that kind of uh, turn to addiction i mean she uh she drank and stuff like that but um i think at, at one point you know she just had me whenever she was uh whenever maybe she couldn't handle the responsibility, you know, and uh, I think uh, that was kind of the disconnect at first. Um, but for a long time there, you know, like uh, we, we were cool. We were uh, almost partners and, and uh, helping to raise like, you know, my, uh, my brothers and my sisters. And, uh, you know, she did have a husband at one point. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, you know, he, he was uh, a really stable force, um, you know, in my family. Um, but unfortunately, you know, they, they split. And uh, I find that's, you know, whenever she started to uh, ended up drinking more, ended up uh, eventually using drugs. So how old are your siblings? Are they younger than you? Yeah, I'm the oldest in my family. And you say like you kind of partnered with you, end up kind of partnering with your mom to help raise the siblings in some way, maybe? Yeah, yeah. To an extent, you know, it's just... um, Whenever they, uh, whenever my mom and my uh, stepdad split, they didn't necessarily have, um, you know, that male figure in the household. And um, I guess I kind of became that male figure. So um, the relationships with my brothers and sisters went from, uh, you know, being, um, being a brother to being more like of an authority figure being like, you know, uh, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what we, you know, what you should be doing. And uh, obviously it caused a, a strain on the relationship going, you know, on in life. So that was after, uh, like, the split? Yeah, that was after the split, yeah. Right. And then how did that kind of manifest itself, like, moving forward with your siblings? Um, I guess, you know, it was... uh, I don't know, you know, it just kind of... uh, I guess I'll have to backtrack a little bit just to just to explain that a little bit more um, with my siblings and stuff. I think that we, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily um, always a stable household. We were always, you know, um, going back and forth to my grandparents and that was due to different things. Um, whenever I was in grade six, you know, um, my uh, mini home had a fire. It had, uh, you know, um, burnt and, and the interior had essentially been like completely destroyed by uh, by smoke damage. Right. So um, that was a time whenever we actually had to move to my grandparents and we spent, you know, about a, uh, about a year there um, while um, actually, to be honest with you, uh, this has always been a really positive moment in my life because uh, the, the community uh, kind of rallied behind us and helped uh, rebuild the whole interior of our home. So it kind of sent home to me uh, the kind of special place PEI, you know, is the people around here and, and the support you can get when anything goes wrong. You know, it's, it's really incredible. But anyway, um, so we were always going back there whenever, you know, bad things would happen. So, you know, the house would burn down. Then eventually due to, you know, my mom's addiction, she wasn't paying the bills. So we lost that. So then we were going back to my uh, back to my grandparents' house um, and living there and kind of piggybacking um, off of that. And I just think that whole instability um, you know, strain the relationships between my uh, brothers and my sisters, my brother and my sister and, uh, and I, you know, um, not to say it isn't great now. It's, it's, it's a lot better now, but for a few years there, I think, you know, um, 
just going through what we went through, through different kind of scenarios and viewing it differently, didn't allow us to uh, be able to, to talk about it, you know, uh, on the same terms, I guess. And how, I'm always curious about this because, you know, like as a kid, you almost don't even, you can't really process it. Like in the way we think about it now as adults, where you, something happens and you process it, you think about it, you reflect. Um, but what were your sort of thoughts when these things were going on as a child? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, crazy when I look at back at it now, because even like going back to that, uh, the, that very, you know, early time of where, uh, where my house had burnt, um, uh, in school, I wasn't doing well, you know, I was uh, failing spelling tests, they were putting me in uh, classes where, you know, I had to do language therapy, stuff like that. Um, they eventually in junior high, um, moved me into a class, a modified class with uh, kids who um, had learning disabilities and things like that, you know, and um, at the time, I didn't realize, you know, maybe, uh, maybe what I was going through and probably teachers and other people, and I'm sure it's, it's progressed a little bit now, at least I hope it has. Um, but maybe they didn't realize that, you know, uh, trauma was affecting me in a way that uh, didn't allow me to learn properly in that window and in that time. And uh, now I look at it, and it's like, I mean, that was always in my head, you know, the fact that I had, had lost, you know, a lot of my things, a lot of my stuff. And, uh, you know, at an early age, it really put uh, in perspective to me that like anything can kind of vanish in, in a second, you know, and looking back, that was kind of, um, I kind of built a lot of resentment too, right? Because they had put me in a class where they had said, you know, you're not learning correctly and uh, didn't really connect it to what I was going through um, in terms of, you know, losing, losing a home. Um, so, you know, after I got ahead of that class, I really did, you know, rebel. I wasn't the, uh, the best kid in junior high and, and high school. I mean, I'm willing to admit that because I, I had learned that, you know, I can go through things and face certain stresses and still have, you know, okay, marks. So what was the point of uh, trying to appease people who didn't believe me and believe in me in the first place is kind of, uh, kind of how I felt. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, that's how things like that. I mean, I can't speak for anybody, everybody, but that's how, um, that particularly uh, manifested in me, you know, and affected uh, my mental health, I guess, and uh, my ability to, to learn at that time. And then, you know, led into other stuff where, uh, where you're starting to resent authority figures because, you know, um, you start to believe that uh, they might not think uh, you can do certain things. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you start believing like everyone's against you. <laughs> essentially yeah right like it's it's a very lonely uh, feeling and like i said maybe i didn't feel that necessarily at the time but uh reflecting now as an adult it uh you know really did affect me i even wrote uh whenever i graduated from uh, holland college i spoke for my uh for my graduating class and uh, that was one of the first things that kind of uh kind of came up was the fact that um sometimes in school whenever i was dealing with things i didn't feel like i was being handled correctly with, you know, in, in terms of education and stuff. In fact, um, I remember going to school and then I'd come home and uh, my uh, grandfather would actually teach me, um, teach me everything I had learned in school, but, but differently. Like he just, you know, 
break it down from his perspective he was always this uh smart and like uh if there's a male figure in my life uh, it, it was him you know he always had these encyclopedias and always put a um an onus on you know self-knowledge and self-directed knowledge and you know studying yourself because not everybody uh learns exactly the same ways yeah yeah no i think that's uh i think that's very wise i think that really is what it comes down to you know um like there is a huge problem with education i think but like it's really just the teacher giving you the information and you have to kind of take it and go with it right yeah and i think sometimes like that gets lost in education but going back to what you said about uh like authority figures and stuff uh i kind of went through the same thing and i've worked with kids and stuff and i see it a lot especially in young boys when they're going through trouble like at home or in their life whatever the may the thing may be it's like they it just becomes like an authoritative thing where they can't sit still pay attention in class and then it's like these people are against me and they're just trying to get me to do things that i don't want to do and and it's like the, the actual problem isn't really being addressed it's more of just like you're not doing these things but there's a reason why i'm not doing these things you know yeah yeah and you know it kind of shifted over time as i grew up because i feel like uh, some of those things made me uh, grow up a little faster right so like by graduating high school i respected you know all my teachers you know i i, yeah, yeah. I you know and uh but at the same time that authority thing uh, still ran deep you know it was i think it was 2009 i graduated and uh a teacher uh jill who like really really believed in me and like uh kind of was the first person to um you know really call me in and tell me you know i was a good writer and actually made me believe it yeah. um she uh she had uh, gave me a nod to win an, uh, an award for uh application of uh, english so coming from a kid who they had in, you know a modified class to kind of getting that award was it was a huge deal to me um and you know I, I respected that the hell out of this woman I still do to this day you know uh, she helped me get transcripts to go to journalism school you know four years ago um but whenever I was graduating she uh basically looked me in the eye and told me that was the career path I should follow and uh because of the way I had felt about different authority figures and you know people giving me advice that I felt was wrong my entire life I basically was like well you know no I'm gonna kind of go do what I want you know and it kind of led me down this path of uh you know I don't know self-discovery to an extent so she said that you should follow which path or that I should actually what? go and be a be a journalist, like you know, ten years before I actually went and became a journalist. <laughs> but I didn't want to take that advice because yeah, I was, it was you know going. Yeah. To, it was somebody who I felt was you know um, trying to tell me to do something, you know, and yeah. my whole life people were telling me to do things and it didn't pan out the correct ways, you know. Yeah. So like I, I feel that, like that resentment for authority was deep, uh, but like yeah. you know. It, I still res I respected you know th those people at that time, but like the past was definitely still still weighing on me, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think that is a thing, like too, where you just you have to. Uh, and I'd like to, um, you know, kind of get your story of like what you ended up doing in that time, but like. I think we have to get there by ourselves too, though. You know, like someone mm. can say, like, you're really good at this. You should do this. But until you're mentally at the place where like, it's like a light bulb, it goes back to the same as the teacher or like, um, I think about it with coaching, it's like you can just give the information, but you can't force someone to do it or force someone to see. It's just, you got to let the light bulb go off and then it's like, oh, okay, now I'll, I'll go do that. 
Yeah, you know, so after school, it kind of led to me, I took a year off and, you know, um, worked at a gas station and you know, stuff like that. And uh, then eventually I did go to UPEI um, whenever I met my uh, girlfriend. Uh, well, not met my girlfriend, but started dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Um, that kind of uh, led me to be like, oh, OK, you know, somebody who really cares about me, maybe I should try to, you know, find a career path or do something. So, you know, I went to like English uh, and burnt like, you know three years worth of tuition kind of uh, messing around uh, not knowing what I would end up using that for um, you know but um, yeah like so that, that was kind of how it went with me uh, in terms of school so I was taking English and like um, that's kind of whenever things started to get really bad with my mom in terms of uh, drug addiction and that's kind of why I dropped out of school so um, you know um I guess just to fast forward a little, you know, so I was 18 and I was graduating and uh, the stepdad figure I had talked about a little bit earlier, um, who was kind of, you know, a really good guy, uh, you know, actually when my mom passed, he, uh, he let me um, live in his uh, mini home while he went out west for a while I moved in with my younger brother. Um, but anyway, um, I can't remember where I was at there, Matty. Oh, you're just talking about... Uh... Okay. Yeah. So 18 coming out of high school. Yeah. Okay. So I was at uh, UPEI and uh, that's when things started to get bad with my mom's drug addiction. I started to, uh, to notice, I guess. And um, what were the kind of things you started to notice? Um, I think it was what I started to notice in uh, my brothers and sisters. Like whenever I'd come home, like it just wasn't the, uh, wasn't quite the same. Um, they seemed a little bit more like timid and stuff. So I started to realize like, okay, there's something weird going on. My mom started to spend more time in like her bedroom. I started to realize like some of the bills were slipping, like, you know, um, our electricity bill was slipping. Our, uh, our rent wasn't getting paid. Um, and it all came to a head when eventually she was kind of like, um, yeah, so we don't have the money for like, you know, our fees this month or like, I don't know if it was to cover the bills, the lot fees, whatever it was. And then, uh, basically she asked me for, you know, 600 bucks to cover the, um, to cover the whole thing, you know, and I, I had it, but I kind of looked around and like saw these signs, like things were missing from the home. Like they were being pawned, like our computer was, it was gone and it was being turned into cash for something. Right. Um, so anyway, I kind of said, you know what? No. Um, I think, you know, we, we should probably get out of here. So um, all of us at the time ended up moving into my, uh, moving into my grandparents yet again, um, which was a huge strain on them. You know, my grandfather, uh, he got, uh, he, he was a firefighter his whole life, transferred here from, uh, from Newfoundland or Newfoundland. And he, um, he had cancer whenever he was, you know, 40, uh, in his forties, his early forties, prostate cancer, and he beat it. And, you know, just uh, having to uh, go back to his home whenever he was, you know, in his early sixties was a tough thing for me, you know, putting that strain on a, on, on an elderly relative, but I felt like, you know, it was kind of something that had to be done at the time. So, um, you know, we moved in there and, uh, the way it kind of worked was, um, you know, my mom was in there kind of hiding her drug use for the most part, but there were signs, but, you know, she would never kind of admit to what she was doing as, you know, some people, who do those situations, I mean, are in those situations, do, they just don't ever want to admit, you know, they kind of uh, are dealing with a problem or have a problem. Um, so, 
after that, uh, she eventually found a spot and uh, moved. And uh, I stayed uh, with my grandparents. My brother, my uh, second, the second oldest in the family, would kind of fluctuate between the two, the, my grandparents and my mom's house. My sister would kind of do the same thing. And my other brother, he ended up moving in with his, uh, his dad, who was my, um, my stepdad at the time, or who used to be my stepdad, right? So uh, I know this is complicated. <laughs> Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, from there, you know, moving in there. um, So we were kind of all uh, split up to an extent. And my mom was living in Cornwall at the time. And I was just hearing things about people being around the house and things being around the house. And I was finding little, you know, tips of uh, safety tips that would be on the tips of hypodermic needles and stuff like um, my girlfriend worked at the pharmacy at the time. You know, she worked in, you know, the methadone clinic for a stint like she she knew kind of what, what these things look like too, you know? And, uh, so, you know, we, we, we kind of confronted the, confronted her on it. And again, you know, it was the whole thing, like nothing's going on. Um, eventually we did get the, uh, I got the, my brothers and sisters to come live with me at my grandparents and my other brother stayed with my, uh, with my, um, my mom's ex-husband. Um, so I guess uh, that was kind of uh, the triggers of knowing when things got bad. Uh, my sister actually had told me that she uh, was down to visit my mom one time and uh, she was basically on the couch um, sitting there just completely like, you know, out of it, you know, drooling, talking nonsense. And uh, she, she told me and I was like, look, I don't, I don't really want you ever going back there, you know, and uh, we kind of had that discussion and it was a tough discussion to have, but um that's when I started to notice things got really bad until, you know, things started to, to hit the news, ironically. Was it tough for you to have these kind of conversations with your siblings? Being um, that the, like, kind of older brother? Yeah, and uh, to this day, I don't know if, we, uh, if we've had, you know, the in-depth conversations we, we do need to have. I think it takes a lot of time to, to get there, especially, you know, I have, I have three siblings, and I'd say, you know, we've, I'm at different stages of having that conversation with each one of them. And, right. uh, you know, I think that's just the way it goes. Everybody kind of uh, handles, it, handles it differently and handles dealing with those things differently. I know that they've gone through different things that I've gone through, and they probably haven't even told me about it you know um for a long time it was uh you know I think they were scared to tell me they thought uh, they they saw me as an authority figure and uh they saw me as the person that would kind of always lay the law down and if they um had kind of opened up about what my mom was doing and the off hours like maybe what she was doing with her uh, partner at the time um that I would uh go over the top or something and maybe get myself into trouble or something like that, or cause a situation that would actually make things worse and not make things better. Right. But, um, you know, that's just the way I view it. Um, I don't, I don't know how they view it sometimes, you know, but like, um, I guess I could respect that view and respect that opinion. Right. Did you feel like stuck at the time being in that position where you had to be like an authoritative figure? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like I still don't feel like I had the chance to, um, I guess have the proper childhood with my siblings that I, that I could have, you know, and it was weird too. Right. Because, um, whenever I was 18 and graduated, uh, high school, my mom had told me that the person I thought was my dad wasn't right. 
So whenever I was younger, my uh, mom's ex-husband would take, you know, some of my uh, other siblings to do things that he wouldn't necessarily invite me to do. And uh, it kind of caused some resentment there until I kind of understood what was going on. And my mom opened up about that and told me the truth. Um, so I feel like there was a lot of stuff going on with my brothers and sisters. In, fr- in fact, like um, whenever they would go do that, I found like I actually found more around a lot more support in some of the friends I have, you know, like I have some deep, deep friendships that kind of uh, last to this day, you know, I've, uh, you know, kind of formed a little, I know this happens all the time, you know, when you're dealing with things at home, but you kind of form a support group and a a family of your own, you know? Right. Um, And maybe that's at the expense of uh, not having those conversations and feeling that resentment whenever I was uh, younger. Um, But I think, you know, we, we do need to have those conversations with their family. Um, I don't know what the best way to do that is, whether it's one-on-one or like putting that into a professional setting where you have, you know, a psychologist or something, you know, uh, kind of mitigate something like that, because, you know, it definitely is, you know, a lot to go through. And like I said, a lot of different perspectives. Be hard to navigate, I imagine. Yeah, especially being connected to the situation in different ways, right? Like it might need, you know, like a a mental health professional to help um, help deal with those and mitigate those conversations. I think that's something we all, uh, because I think a lot of the time, you know, people think of therapy as like a one-on-one thing or couples therapy where you're going through it within a relationship and not necessarily a type of uh, family therapy or, you know, uh, or two, two brothers going to therapy to try to work on their relationship or, you know, I don't hear a lot about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that would be, you know, I think that's very helpful. I think a lot of people could use that. A lot of people. Oh, you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You know, you need to, you probably need somebody who, who knows more about it, who can be removed from the situation and uh, yeah, view everybody's, everybody's situation in, in that lens. Yeah. So I guess that, oh, so I was just going to say, it's kind of like a non-biased opinion where they're like, like you said, like when you're connected to, the situation you have like emotional connection like and it's always like it's this competing perspective and you can't find the common middle ground where you can communicate how each other are feeling yeah 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 no it's it's definitely tough you know yeah so going on from there you know i dropped out of uh at a upei because of what my mom was dealing with so then you know for a few years i kind of just dealt with that situation you know heard things around town saw things um and then you still uh, seeing her at this time yeah, you know, sometimes, um, not as much. I think, you know, stuff got so bad, I kind of uh, started to cut her out. You know, um, they had put some bills in my name that had ran my credit up uh, that I actually had to go and deal with, you know, things like that. So there was some schemes and stuff going on that kind of, uh, not even just the, like, I never stopped, I guess, talking to my mom because she was an addict. I started to stop talking to her because of uh, some of the actions she was doing. Like she was, you know, stealing from the family and, uh, you know, putting things in my grandfather's name or my name or things like that to gain credit in some places, you know? So um, that was kind of what pushed it over the edge. That was like, you know, I, all I, I, I always told her, um, my line to her always was all I can do is help you. There's nothing else I can do. I can't give you money. You know, I can't, I can't do this. I can take you to eat, you know, but I can't, um, all I can do is help you, you know. And how old were you at this story. time? You would have been like 19, 20, 21. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah, you know, 19, 
yeah, probably 1920 for the, for the most part. Um, and then I started to realize uh, things were getting really bad because um, I was living at my grandparents at the time. I think this was in uh, 2014, maybe. I was living with my grandparents at the time and uh, it's like two in the morning and I just hear my grandmother like staggering down the steps and she's like screaming at the top of her lungs and I'm like, what's going on? Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I go out there and like greet her and she's like, you know, your uncle's on the phone and I'm like, what's up? And uh, he basically had said, you know, uh, someone's dead outside your mother's house. And, uh, you know, I was like, holy crap, like, uh, I hope it's not her, you know, I mean, I'm not, not to be selfish, but I feel like anybody in that moment has that feeling. I hope it's not my mom. I hope it's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I called, uh, I tried to get a hold of her and I couldn't, uh, I eventually called the uh, Charlottetown police and, um, it took me a while, but I eventually got them to, uh, to tell me that it wasn't her, that it wasn't her laying on the ground. They wouldn't tell me if she was involved, but they, they told me it wasn't my mom. It was basically uh, bleeding out that night. So what had happened was it was, uh, uh, I'll be careful here just because of how it worked through the courts. Um, but it was uh, an alleged stabbing of, uh, you know, um, a man in my mom's apartment. Uh, allegedly they had been, you know, all doing drugs together. Uh, one thing led to another. And uh, long story short, he got stabbed um, and essentially, you know, allegedly was stabbed and bled out on my mom's uh, front lawn. Uh, you know, this went through the whole court thing and nobody was ever kind of found guilty for the, for the murder or, you know, for, for what had happened. Um, but it was very high profile on PEI. Like it's, it's insane to think, you know, um, I, I work at CBC now and uh, I had Steve Bruce on, uh, on the lawn of my mother's house talking about the stabbing. Um, I had another colleague, you know, Brian Higgins at CBC covering this on the courts um, it's things I've kind of uh, spoke to them before about, you know, and it's it's just a, a wild scenario I kind of find myself in these days. But I feel like going through um, those situations and having some of those things about my family, you know, in the news and on Compass and on The Guardian has uh, kind of uh, led me a little bit of uh, compassion or perspective whenever I go to cover stories, uh, you know, with people in this community and uh, even, you know, covering your story, you know, um, hearing what you went through um, and then, you know, having the courage to kind of reach out to you uh, is because of the things I've gone through, because I think these stories need to be told because I don't think enough people talk about the things they've been through or talk about their mental health struggles. And it's hard to get that, uh, that perspective in the news when people, um, you know, and, and talk about it and, and, you know, maybe uh, lead to some change or, you know, uh, put them out there without people, um, talking about it and I feel like if I don't do that myself here with you you know who am I to uh to essentially ask you to come and, and chat with me about some of the things you've been through yeah man like I just want to say thanks so much for for reaching out and having me on like that was that was huge and yeah it's just like the more we can share it right I was just talking about this um like on the last episode it's like we're all just going through life and there's like this big stigma of like we're thinking that we're the, like the huge thing i hear over and over like i'm the only ones going through this i'm the only ones going through this everyone else is like just fine and i'm the only one like why do i feel like this right and mm -hmm. little did i know that everybody else like we're all human we're all we all feel these things right so and we all have our stories and we all have mental health the same oh, as physical I health 
I certainly don't think what I've been through on the island is unique to me. You know, I think there's uh, probably several people who have dealt with the same thing, but maybe have not spoken out about it or talked about it. Or, you know, there's plenty of people who, do, who don't know this story. Like, this is the first time I'm actually d- telling it in a setting like this, you know. Um, but I think, like I said, I think it's an important thing to do. I think we just need to uh, open up more so people can, you know, um, humanize um you know, what's going on a little bit more. It's, it's one thing to talk to say, you know, in my life, in my daily life, you know, I'll talk to politicians, I'll talk to organization heads, and that's all well and good to know what's going on with mental health resources in the community. But what really needs to be done is talking to people who use these resources, who've got help from these resources, um, who have problems with these resources. You know, um, I think that's that's the crutch and that's the heart of, uh, of these stories on the island, uh, especially around mental health. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just, uh, it's like on the ground, how does it work? And is it working? And does it work good? And yeah, then, yeah. And then this podcast is like kind of a layer underneath that. It's like, what is your story? You know? Yeah. And you know, there's been lots of people, um, it's gotten better. There's been people speaking out about addiction who I've interviewed and chatted with. You have um, good examples, uh, Grant Matheson, the doctor from PEI, who's, uh, who lives here now again. And, um, you know, he was a doctor and an opiate addict. Like, I mean, these things can happen to, to anybody, anybody can slip up and uh, have these things happen. Like, in, in fact, I think, in reality, my mom's uh, drug addiction probably started with a sore tooth. Like, that's where I can pinpoint it back to, to whenever she started actually using opiates and started to eventually, you know, shoot drugs. Like, yeah. I mean, and that's where Grant found himself in, right? He was using opiates and I interviewed him and he talked about how he used water from a toilet to shoot himself up in, a, in an air, airport bathroom. You know, it's wow. it's it's crazy how... Um, how quickly it jumps, how quickly it can jump, you know, from, from one thing to another. Especially uh, opioids. Like it's such a common um, story, like the, uh, the injury or the pain, some sort of pain, you know, and then you get a prescription for 20 pills, but you only need two. And then you just, you take the pill and you feel great there's no worries and then all of a sudden the stress goes away and all these mental things you had going on you didn't really think about before or maybe you did you get relief from it and then away you go i mean uh, to this day just because of what my mom went through um she was very anti-drugs like i don't think people would believe that like whenever i've talked to people like about um what she went through people think that uh, she was an addict her whole life that she was an addict for 30 years using you know drugs she she wasn't she, this happened to her like from add addiction to you know leading to her death that was a span of maybe five six years you know that wasn't that was barely a, you know a blip on, on her life um so you know wow. it, it, it's crazy how quickly it can happen you know like i remember her always preaching to me you know um anti-drugs like she didn't even like uh, the fact that i'd smoked marijuana whenever i was younger you know she was that kind of mom um and um you know, it's, uh, you know, th- things were tough and maybe she, you know, eventually she, she did drink a lot, you know, uh, in, po- in portions leading up to her opiate addiction, but uh, she definitely wasn't an addict her whole life. So it's, it, it can happen really fast. Yeah, no, it really can. Um, so kind of leading from that, you find out there's a, there's a stabbing 
and um, there's news stories about it. And where does it kind of go from there? Um, so I guess right before the, the stabbing, a year before, there was actually my mom's uh, home was in the news because uh, Operation Clean Sweep. I don't know if people in Charlottetown are familiar with that, but it was a shutdown of several, um, you know, alleged drug dealers in Charlottetown, uh, people who were, you know, selling, using high amounts of, you know, whatever. So um, my mom's house was one of the, those, and there was. I think over 150 hypodermic needles found in the home. Wow. Like, I don't know if those were used, unused, but it was part of the news article. You know, it's, uh, it, it was crazy. And then uh, on top of that, you had uh, the, the stabbing came out next. Um, then the trial being through that, like I would follow it every day. You know, I'd check uh, the tweets. They were tweeting um, the court story because this was the first, you know, this is the first stabbing on PEA uh, or, you know, high profile death before uh, the kind of the Pleasant Grove uh, situation yeah. that happened. Um, so, yeah, just going through that was, uh, was kind of, uh, I don't know, it was a unique experience. Like I've never, um, I know even from being a journalist that some people maybe um, resent pe- people that uh that are covering stories about their family or, or the things they're going through and i know pei is a small place you know but um i don't know i just feel like it was a unique experience and uh kind of being on that side of things i kind of said you know um I'm, i can write i can shoot video i find these things interesting you know maybe there is something here maybe i should go be a journalist and maybe i should uh you know see if there's ways i could um help tell stories like this in a, in a compassionate way or, you know, in a, in a unique way and, uh, you know, lend my, my talents and my mind to that. And uh, I think that's kind of um, how I started to change it into something positive. You know, I started to realize that probably these people out there doing this didn't want to cover this every day either. You know, like it was a depressing thing. It's a depressing topic. There was uh, some teenagers involved that couldn't be named, things like that. You know, uh, the, the quotes from, um, from court were just you know they were pretty dark like you know there was an alleged rape that like an attempted rape you know it was uh I just felt that um because I had went through that uh, and because I had a skill set where you know I, I was writing um and things like that that uh maybe I could take all this um and use it for myself and um you know turn it into something positive so um that's whenever I started to think about going to journalism school was kind of whenever that had happened. And, uh, it wasn't too long after that. I think this all happened. Uh, the trial happened in 2015. Um, my, uh, mom's drug addiction got worse since that happened. You know, um, I don't know what was weighing on her conscience or weighing on her mind, but she was in the home when the alleged stabbing happened. So her drug addiction got worse. Um, then my uh, uncle, he was actually a, uh, he was a Coke dealer for a long, long time before he passed. He passed, I think in, uh, in late 2015 or early 2016. And that's whenever things with my mom started to get really, really bad. I don't know if she was, you know, injecting up until then, but then she, she definitely started to, um, and uh, they, because they were they were really close, you know, he always kind of looked out for her and made sure, uh, you know, kind of nothing happened. Or when that drug bust happened at, uh, you know, the Operation Clean Sweep and stuff like that, my mom was like, 
never taken into custody. And um, a lot of the time, I think it might have been because of the uh, connections that my uncle could have had because of <laughs> the things he was doing. Right. Um, which is to say, you know, I also come from a, a family that, uh, you know, not to say all my family's like that. Uh, you know, I have other family members that are doing really great. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. there's, you know, I had that, uh, I guess, criminal element and, and stuff in, in the family for, for a long, long time. And I think that also lended a little bit to my perspective. So when that happened, things got really, really worse with my mom. Um, we didn't talk much after the, uh, after the stabbing, after the drug bust, because I, um, I just didn't want to be associated. I didn't want to be associated with her, the people she knew. I didn't even want her to essentially tell people I was her son at the time. Um, you know, cause I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my own life and my own identity. And, uh, you know, we would talk here and there, but not as much. And my grandmother started to tell me, you know, your mom's really, really sick, you know? And, uh, me thinking, uh, thinking this was finally them catching up to reality, realizing she's, she's an addict, right. Um, I didn't go check on her and it's probably one of the biggest regrets I have to this day. Um, in fact, uh, the first year I was in journalism school after she had passed, um, I guess I can tell the story this way. Um, this guy, I met up with him and he wanted to tell me a story. And he proceeds to tell me, you know, I was, uh, I lived in this place. I lived in this part and uh, these other people lived in this part and they were using a lot of drugs. And uh, there was this woman in there and, you know, she didn't leave the house or anything like that. And EMTs were called a few times and, you know, they didn't take her because she'd tell them, you know, she was okay. But like, I really didn't think she was. And, you know, he said eventually, you know, the I think the police came and EMTs came and uh, pulled her from the building. And he was like, you know, this woman was maybe 70 pounds. Like she was, you know, kind of a, a skeletal wreck by, you know, lack of better terms. And uh, I was sitting there having a coffee with him and I looked at him and I said, yeah, I know all about it. That was my mom. Wow. And wow. Uh, he was kind of like, oh, wow. You know, like wow and I was like yeah yeah but um so with her what had happened is you know I get a call um, whenever I'm out eating dinner with Jess my my girlfriend at the time from uh these people who were friends with my uncle friends with my uh friends with my mom and they say uh, you know your mom's being rushed to the hospital she's not doing well at all like you're you're you should you should go so I went in to check on her and uh you know she's laying on the bed and she has bed sores and everything. I don't know how long she was laying in, uh, you know, laying in a hospital. I mean, laying in her room and, uh, you know, not going anywhere or doing anything or, or what was going on. Um, but uh, she had uh, injected drugs with a, uh, with a dirty needle. And uh, because she had not gotten any medical attention, she, uh, it led to an infection. And that infection eventually led to an infection in her heart valve. And because she let her body deteriorate to the point to where it had deteriorated, um, her body wasn't strong enough for any type of surgery or any type of uh, way to save her at the time. So she was sent to Halifax. Um, and in Halifax, they uh, they tried to save her life. Like the, the doctors, uh, the nurses, they did an incredible, incredible job. They were super compassionate and uh, they provided the best care they could, you know. Um, but um you know, I'm in my early twenties and, um, my grandfather, he has, uh, he has dementia, late stage dementia. Um, and at this point it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of showing how, how deep it, it was getting. 
Um, and my grandmother just wasn't, uh, she had already lost a son. She was going through kind of her, um, her own mental health issues and she was having a hard time kind of, uh, kind of making decisions. Um, so I actually had to, um, sit in a boardroom with a bunch of doctors, you know, in my early twenties and, um, tell them what I thought and what, uh, you know, percentage of, of chance I wanted them to not do surgery and essentially let my mom die because the, the high chance of them doing surgery would essentially, you know, cut into this heart valve and uh, she would suffer and bleed out and die. Wow. So, you know, I made that decision and I told them, you know, if you don't, if the chances are this low, like I don't want my mom to, uh, to die like that, you know? Um, Was this just like, you know, there's like a, there's like a saying where you don't know how strong you are until you don't have a choice. Was this just like, you didn't have a choice. You're in the early twenties. There was no other choice. You had to go in there. And um, like, what was your mindset like through that whole situation? Um, I guess it was, uh, I have to do this. And, you know, eventually to an extent it became, I have to get over this and get through this and, and finish this off and, close this chapter in the story, however way it ends up to an extent, you know, I was just tired of, you know, what was happening and seeing my mom suffer and seeing her like that. And, you know, she was completely delusional, like being like, you know, I have cancer and stuff like that. And it's like, no mom, like I know now, like, I know you're an addict. Like I can see these track marks. The doctors told me what is going on. You know, like I've, I was, I was her next of kin, you know, like legally, um, because of the way things went, I was, I was her next of kin. Um, so I, I ended up knowing all these things, um, because she was in such a, such a horrible state, you know? So, you know, it, it was tough and, uh, yeah, it was kind of something where it was like, you know, I, I have to do this. And at the same time, this was a time when, uh, you know, my to be wife was, uh, going through a horrible time herself. You know, she was, uh, she was getting sick, like, she lost 60 pounds throwing up and getting sick. And I didn't know if that it was anxiety or trauma linked to, you know, what I was dealing with. Uh, eventually uh, we realized it was her appendix and she had that taken out. But um, it was a point in my life where I was like, okay, like things are happening. I just have to do this. I just have to get through this. I just have to find a way to make these decisions on my own. Um, it felt very lonely and it felt very, um, you know, at the time I felt resentful to my brothers and sisters, um, because they weren't in that room at that time. But at the same time, I look at it and I'm like, you know, that was a hard thing for me to do in my early twenties. These people, some of them weren't even at high school yet. Um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine, uh, putting them in that situation. Looking back, I couldn't imagine expecting them to, um, to be there, you know? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, did you say your girlfriend lost 60 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. Through like getting sick. I mean, that's probably her story to tell. You could have her on sometime. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, she, uh, she lost. Uh, yeah. She got really, really sick. And, uh, you know, she definitely had some struggles with anxiety and stuff and thought it was, uh, was that, but eventually, I mean, she had to get her appendix taken out. She had a, a leak and uh, man, it was, 
that was also an intense moment. Um, you know, just, uh, I, you know, after losing my mom, I got really scared. Like I just lose everybody in my life. Eventually, you know, losing yeah. my uncle, losing my mom. I just figured, you know, everybody around me was going to die. And that was a re- unrational thought to have, but that's just how I started to think. And uh, it started to scare me whenever yeah. I'd see people get sick or, you know, see people go through a hard time. And I'd also almost want to keep a distance or, you know, I'd act differently. And, uh, I think it, it strained my relationships with some people and, uh, I'm glad I was able to save those, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a very natural thing to happen. You just feel like, uh, you start putting up walls because you just like got hurt so badly that you just, you can't, you, you know, you're timid to let someone in again or let people in in general to that yeah. level of, yeah yeah and you know um i've told some people this story and they've kind of asked me you know how um how i seem to be able to be you know so strong and and do some of the work i do um and you know a lot of it comes down to resilience um but that resilience is, is built around some of the positive things and focusing on some of the positive things in my life and the positive people in my life like like i said earlier whenever my house um whenever my house had burned um the community rallied behind me, but not behind me, but behind my family and helped rebuild that, you know, helped raise money, helped hold charity events, self fudge, you know, all that island stuff. And, uh, you know, re- helped rebuild yeah. a home, you know, yeah. um, when my mom passed, uh, she died in Halifax and I had to call the hospital and to basically make the decision to, um, have her cremated and have her sent back to PEI. And, um, the fee to do that was was kind of big right but the the, the funeral home uh, here in pei uh, i'll never forget it i talked to the funeral director and i said you know my mom's ashes are in halifax like, I, I i thought that they i didn't know how any of this worked <laughs> you know i thought maybe they shipped them themselves it was free of charge like you know um whatever i did not work and uh this woman said uh my son-in-law he's over in halifax for the weekend He'll stop by the hospital. He'll uh, pick up your mom's ashes and he will bring them to PEI. And it's just little moments like that, man. That's yeah. like, that's like yeah. where do I live? Wonderland? You know, like, why do these people care? You know, yeah. why? like, this is something they deal with every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a testament to the culture here. And, you know, that's such a PEI thing. Like, uh, <laughs> oh yeah man no, i got someone really there is. in halifax they'll pick it up for you oh and it's it's ashes you know like uh, it's yeah. not a, it's it's not milk you know yeah um yeah. it's yeah. crazy and like i always i always think about that and i always think about you know not even the support you can get professionally but the support you get from uh from the community and the people around here is is really incredible you it's know beautiful. Um, i actually wrote a poem about it uh because i to deal with a lot of the stuff uh, came out in, in creative writing and poetry kind of before I got into the, the profession I did. And uh, it said, uh, I think it was the time the bridge fee was uh, 46 bucks. So it was uh, $46. What was it? Um, they brought her home in a luxury sedan, $46 for ash to touch sand. <laughs> yeah. That's that's awesome, man. It's beautiful. So yeah. you did a, you did a lot of writing. Yeah, I did a lot yeah. of writing, a lot of poetry. Um, 
You know, actually, uh, whenever I went to journalism school, um, I ended up going to uh, Halifax for uh, for my first internship with the uh, with the Star, and um, it was something that was uh, crazy, right? Because um, my mom died uh, in the summer, right before I had went back to school, and uh, we actually buried her on Canada Day, um, which is weird. Like I, <laughs> you know, yeah, but. Um, so I went back to school like that year and uh, it was almost, you know, get, getting to be a year anniversary to when she had passed. And uh, I was um, in Halifax and it was probably the most uh, therapeutic experience ever. Like I was terrified to go there, but um, whenever you have somebody that, you know, dies in a place that kind of is the memory for you. Right. But I went back and uh, I did some journalism. I did some, you know, some really deep creative writing over there kind of alone uh, in my uncle's, uh, my uncle had a a little basement spot um, where I kind of have my own separate entrance and everything. And I just kind of spent time uh, for the first time, I think, uh, processing what I had been been going through. Right. And uh, even thinking about uh, my girlfriend at the time and how she had been beside me and supported me and, uh, you know, um, I guess, uh, maybe the person I am, like in all honesty, I'm not sure how I would have taken some of the trauma I faced and turned it positively if I didn't have somebody who actually made me feel like I, I could be loved, you know, some of the relationships with my, uh, with my mom and, uh, other people, I, I guess I didn't necessarily, um, feel that a lot, you know? Um, and I know that seems like a lot of pressure to put on one person, but she's always, uh, kind of been that person for me. And, um, has always uh, supported every decision I made. Um, made me feel like, you know, anything I went through was never never a burden. And I know sometimes, you know, whenever you go through things like that, you can feel like, you know, this is a problem. This is a weight. I don't want to unload it on anybody else. Like, they don't need that. Right. Um, but yeah, no, like, uh, I think that's the, that's another thing I'd like to highlight is just the importance of having a support group, um, you know, even outside your family, like having uh, friends, having, you know, um, just people you can, you know, I mean, even if things uh, didn't, you know, go well with my girlfriend, I think we'd still be um, together to an extent, you know, she's still looking out for me. She just wouldn't, um, wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. And I think we need to, uh, we need people like that in our lives. You know, I have best friends who, you know, um, who've just done incredible things for me. Like the people that showed up to my mom's funeral was a very small service and each and every one of them, you know, I, I remember. And um, every person that called me, every person that, you know, reached out. And uh, like I said, I think we live in a, in a special place to an extent. And, you know, not to say I haven't gotten professional help, it's just, um, never been a thing that uh that necessarily worked for me but there's i think a lot of people should look into some of their uh, options at their employers some really uh, some employers and pei have some really 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 good mental health programs where you can talk to like you know some professionals for a certain duration um even schools when i went to holland college there's you know online services there's uh, people you can talk to in person or there was i don't know what covid's done to that um but, um, you know, I, and I did try it, but um, it got to an extent where I've, I told a therapist almost, well, probably a little bit more than what I've told you. But um, I remember one day at the end of it, it was at the end of one of my sessions, they looked at me and said, uh, I don't know how you're okay. And uh, which blew my mind because that's why I was there, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, 
on top of what happened to my mom, uh, what, what actually had sent me to therapy was um, in 2016, right before, uh, right before going back to school, right before my mom, um, my mom actually, that actually, no, this was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before this all happened, I think. I was uh, driving uh, home to pick up Jess from, from lunch or uh, drive her to work. And I'm driving along the highway and uh, this sports bike just buzzes by me. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know, like that was pretty quick. Um, at the time, I was actually working at a shop. We did a lot of bike stuff. Um, so the guy just buzzes by me. It's on the uh, bypass leading up to the KFC, you know, where the um, where the new intersections now built, you know, that uh, forever active transport, I guess. Um, so going up there, he uh, he had hit the curb and launched himself off the bike. Um, he had a passenger on the back. Um, and as I turned the curb, I see just him laying motionless on the ground. The bike's fired up near the intersection. It's revving, like the engine's still going. And this woman is on the ground trying to like get her footing and stand up. So I run up to him and, you know, the first thing I do is kind of check his pulse. I probably didn't have to. Um, he was dead on impact. Um, and then I ran up and uh, shut his motorcycle off because I didn't want you know fire or anything to happen. And uh, this other guy on a motorcycle actually stopped and, and helped me. I don't know who the hell he is to this day. And uh, we covered this guy in uh, in a jacket and my sweater. And then I kind of stayed with this woman until um, until the ambulance arrived. Um, and then I went home and you know told Jess what had happened. Um, to an extent, maybe I was in shock. I don't even think I like even, you know, registered this, like, which is crazy. Uh, she says I was like, you know, looking sick and stuff. But, um, you know, anyway, I drove her to work and then I went back to work for the day, finished off work. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think normal, you know, normal people should be able to do that. Should be able to watch someone die and uh, then be like, that was messed up. I think I should go back to work now. <laughs> well. That was a bit weird. I'm going to go back. Right. To... Right. So from then it was, was kind of like, uh, Hey, you should probably go check this stuff out. So that's kind of what, uh, what, what sent me to therapy and, uh, you know, kind of led to those discussions. But, um, yeah, like I said, you just, you definitely should use those sports. Um, they might not work for everybody or maybe, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I've used, uh, the resource since then. Um, but yeah. Like, I just think, um, you know, everybody kind of goes through lots of stuff and I think, uh, eventually it can pile up. And I thought that was a weird uh, way of, I guess, recognizing that because everybody assumes, you know, whenever you, uh, have a mental health struggle, you know, like, and the thing with me is, is, uh, necessarily I was never diagnosed with depression. I was never diagnosed with anxiety. I don't have a clinical diagnosis for, for anything. Um, in fact, going through therapy, you know, a lot of it is, is like, well, you probably get sad or, you know, depressed sometimes because your mom died and, you know, uh, you watch the person die. Like these aren't, you know, these, there's, there's reasons kind of behind um, the ways I feel all the time, you know, not, not all the time, but the ways I feel sometimes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just think people need to talk about what they're going through. Cause like I said, even without a diagnosis, I was still was facing things and uh, maybe it didn't come out as me, you know, breaking down crying. Like you see sometimes in the movies or whatever, it was actually a, a non-response to a trauma that was like, that's, that's not okay. You know, like that, uh, that is a weird response to something so traumatic. Would you say it was almost like a numbness? 
yeah and i think maybe i was numb for a while without uh, without realizing it and uh, a moment like that really put it into uh into perspective right really uh, it might have brought me back down to reality to be like wow you know um because of what you're going through with your mom because of other stuff that you know you're not, you're not even feeling this yeah so was that that was before your mom died or after your mom died um i think that was i, I get honestly um you know how trauma can mess you up chronologically yeah yeah no idea no idea i think it was either just before or just after it was in october of okay. uh one of those years so it was it was fall um i think it was just before she passed actually but i mean prior to that going through like um this was after the whole stabbing situation and all those other things right um, yeah. so between then and uh, and my mom's uh, my mom's passing so what has the grieving process looked like those years after leading into today um, I did a weird thing where, uh, <laughs> so I was so determined to turn uh, what, what situation I had faced into positivity that I uh, put off processing it. So what I did was became a, a complete workaholic to an extent. So I went to school and I applied myself and, you know, um, just that's all I cared about for a while, you know, and uh, focused on distracting myself and doing that. And uh even, you know, probably not until my second year, you know, even uh, in my second year, uh, I was going through this stuff and I asked my, uh, my girlfriend to marry me. So I was going to school, um, just dealing with, you know, maybe around the first anniversary of my mom's death, um, you know, and, and getting married and having my whole family in my, in my wedding party. And, uh, I mean, I love my wedding. My wedding was amazing, but at the same time, like maybe it would have been a little bit easier on, people if I wasn't dealing with what I was dealing with at the time but I just got to the point where I was like okay I need to just get this going need to get this done I need to start forming what I think a happy life looks like right and uh, yeah and I don't think I really started dealing with the grief until I finished my uh, second year of uh, of journalism school and started to uh, you know work in the industry you know um yeah. And I guess the grieving process now is, you know, I just, um, I think about it a lot. I think about it on her birthday. I think about it. Uh, so just sometimes it randomly hits me. I just think about, uh, you know, how my mom's dead and how, you know, she'll never see me on compass or she'll never, she never got to see me get married. Um, and she was only 43, you know? Wow. It sucks. Yeah. So, so I, mean, yeah. I still, yeah, and I still go through it uh, every day, every uh, every other day. I think about it, but um, I think I've tried to think about some of the positive aspects because I think whenever you have somebody that passes, um, maybe that way, um, the last couple of lives, the last couple of years of their lives were kind of chaotic. You have a uh, a problem where you freeze that in time, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think about my mom. Like I said, she was not her addict her whole life. Um, yeah. You know, um, so I think about the good things too. I think about how, um, you know, she, uh, she was amazingly talented. She was one of the best singers I've heard on the island. And I don't uh, say that just because she was my mom. Um, but I think this kind of leads into why I, I, I do what I do. Um, 
I wrote, I wrote for years and years and years. Right. Um, so my mom, she sang for, for years and she did go to karaoke and stuff like that, but she actually had people being like, Hey, um, I think you should sing with this. I have this recording studio, you know, people were actually like, you know, you're, you're talented, you're good. You should come come do that or try that. And she never had the confidence in herself to, to do that. She never believed in herself to do that. So in a way, I feel like seeing like, you know, that and seeing her kind of, um, hide that talent has because for years I wrote and people said you know you need to do something with this you need to make a career out of this you need to you know do that I I feel like um she and I both lacked uh, confidence in the same ways um so I do think of uh, you know some of the but I take that positively right I say you know mom I'm not gonna not gonna be like that I'm gonna show people you know who I am like you should have you know like she really could have um I really think she could have done great things. She, um, you know, didn't go to college or university or anything like that. I'm not saying, you know, everybody has to, um, or anything like that, you know, but she, she could have, but she never viewed herself as like an intelligent person, but she could rattle off all the answers on Jeopardy or any trivia quiz show, you know, that would come on TV. So I feel like looking at that, the way she dealt with stuff has kind of, um, made me be like, okay, I want to do the opposite you know, and uh, not let uh, anxieties affect me in the same way. Um, Another thing she did was, uh, and I actually used to get on her for this, right? Like she'd wake up some days um, before she was dealing with her addiction issues and she wouldn't have anything planned. She wouldn't go anywhere for the day. She wouldn't be going to, to do anything, but she'd get up and she'd put jeans on and she'd do her makeup and she'd do her hair. And uh, whether she was cleaning the house or whatever, you know, she'd put some music on, you know, she'd... Uh, and I'd be like, why are you doing this? Like, you're not going anywhere. You're not expecting anybody over. And then I kind of realized um, whenever I've been dealing with sadness or dealing with uh, bouts of, you know, any type of depression, what makes me feel better is the things that she did, like uh, getting up, putting my clothes on, you know, going for a walk, um, yeah. just trying to exist a little, you know, I feel like sometimes, um, I mean, sometimes laying in bed all day, sleeping, letting your body relax can be a good thing. Um, but just for me and, uh, and stuff, looking at the way my mom uh, handled it, you know, for, for a very long time successfully, um, you know, I, I, I try to focus on some of those positive things whenever I'm grieving, you know, I try to say, you know, how would, uh, how would she deal with this in a positive way? You know, what would she want me to do? Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I remember one of the last things my mom uh, ever told me was uh, that she was proud of me, you know, the fact that I was uh, trying to go to school and trying to do these things. Um, I think that might've been like one of the last sober conversations I had with her. Cause uh, this was prior to me dropping out of UPEI and stuff, you know, but um, no, you know, like uh, even to this day, you know, grief hits me and stuff. Like another important thing is use your vacation days, whether you're using those for a vacation or using those to, um, you know, mindfully relax. You know, I know a lot of people can't go anywhere anyway these days. Um, so I think uh, you should just take time for yourself and do the things you enjoy. You know, I always try to find time to, uh, I, well, whenever poetry readings were a thing, you know, to go out and, and do that and uh, try to get right. this out of my system in that way or creatively or, you know, um, find hobbies that I like. Another thing is, is um, I found myself obsessed with productivity after my mom died. And I realized that wasn't healthy. Like I felt like everything I did, I had to be productive and I had to be creating something. Um, I think if you like to play Call of Duty for, you know, a couple of hours on a Wednesday evening, 
do it, you know, to get out of this whole, you know, thing we're dealing with. Like, I think uh, anything you can do as a hobby, anything that takes you out of the reality you're facing all the time is a good thing. And you should, uh, you should do that, whether that's, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or drawing, you know, it's, uh, yeah. everybody should find some type of uh, hobby and you don't even need to be good at it, you know? paint something i painted rocks one day man it was one of the most therapeutic things <laughs> i painted rocks i did a ninja turtle <laughs> and i hit it right and then you see like a kid pick it up and be like look at that a donatello like you know it's <laughs> yeah yeah just have some fun like taking my dog for a walk has been amazing you know uh, having something in my life that i feel like I, i'm a little bit responsible for is, has worked wonders for me too you know like you can't sit here all day if the dog needs to go pee you know you can't yeah. uh, just sit here yeah. beside if, if the dog needs to go for a walk you know or he's yeah. gonna get sad too you don't want that yeah yeah you know? so uh, i feel like that's uh you know and um that's just kind of how I, I dealt with it. And I've been uh, a little bit resilient about it. Like I said, I'm not perfect. I still deal with it all the time. Um, you know, like I said, when March comes around, it's my mom's birthday. It's, it's a tough day. When Canada day comes around, it's a tough day. That's the, you know, the day we buried her. It's, um, you know, I think uh, what people need to realize is grief is going to be, you know, for me personally, grief is going to be an ongoing process. Um, like even yeah. talking about uh, some people, um, you know, I've really been involved with uh, talking to people who have been through drug addiction after my mom and, and what she has been through. And a lot of people who are recovering, you know, who are going through years and years of recovery, um, still say, you know, once you're an addict, you're kind of always an addict to an extent, or you have to have that mindset to keep yourself, you know, kind of um, check, I guess, sure, for, for, for you know. But um, I think that's kind of the same, the same thing with grief. You know, um, once you're grieving, you might grieve the rest of your life. You know, it kind of depends on what that person meant to you. And it's, it's how you adapt to that grief and how you um, use it maybe in, in positive lights. And, um, you know. I think, um, like, from my experience, the people I've talked to, like, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a hole in your heart. You know, you lose a connection, you lose love, and the the, the void or the hole or the gap is never going to be filled again. But you're going to it, but it becomes easier to have that there, and then you learn to 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 live around it and and find you know new love and and live your life again. But the, you know, the hole in your heart never, um, never goes away. It just gets easier to, to live with. You, you learn to live again with that hole. I, um, yeah. And, you know, some of the people I've talked to uh, just in my profession have, uh, have really put things in perspective for me. Like, I don't think pain has to be like, I mean, pain can kind of be a, a beautiful thing to an extent if you share it. Yeah. You know, and you let other people know, like, you know, this is, this is what I'm going through. I talked to a, uh, a woman once who was, uh, had terminal cancer, you know, whenever I was working for the guardian and, uh, it was, it wasn't a story necessarily about terminal cancer. It was a story about healthcare, you know, and, uh, just how sometimes she was driving from, you know, one end of the Island to the other to get, you know, chemotherapy or the treatment she needed, you know, while dealing with like late stage cancer. Um, yeah. but you know, just hearing what she was going through and dealing with and, um, you know, 
I guess what I've been through kind of um, offered me a little bit of perspective to like just being around uh, seeing people who were, were sick or who, who had, you know, died with, you know, even my grandfather's cancer or some of my relatives or, you know, um, some of the other stuff I, I, I've necessarily seen, um, you know, just talking to her and hearing, you know, just her sp- perspective on life while, while she was dying. I mean, she eventually did, did pass. Um, you know, I think those experiences and those things, you know, a lot of people want to avoid maybe, uh, you know, listening to those stories or hearing that story, those stories. Um, but, um, they're really important stories, you know, I mean, we're, we're all yeah. uh, heading to deal with uh, things like this someday and, uh, just hearing the way, you know, um, cancer was affecting her mental health and treatment was affecting her mental health and sitting there for an hour watching her, you know, cry and pour her heart out. Um, you know, I think it kind of lends what I've been through and what I've seen has lent me uh, the ability to, you know, be compassionate and, uh, but at the same time, still be able to logically sit there and process what she's trying to tell me and get that story out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, go, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. That was it. I was just going to say that's like, it's the whole reason why I'm able to do this. And I started this in the first place. Um, and I've said that many times, but it's just without going through the things I went through, I never would have the ability to do this and be able to have these conversations and just what you just said. But I, I think like those stories, like you're saying, were, are very important. And even like the, um, like the coming to terms with death, you know, like, I think we should be, uh, you know, you don't have to think about it every day, but it's good. It's, it's a good thing to, to hear. And talk about it, right? And talk about like, it, yeah. I think if we don't, if we don't talk about it, um, you know, even the, the way you opened up with your story about me, I mean, with me talking about grief and dealing with it, um, I think we kind of find ourselves in the same situation. You know, you um, had this, drive to be like okay i need to take this and turn it into something positive you know um you couldn't let the 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 loss you went through be something that was negative in your life and affected you for the rest of your life and was something that you know completely destroyed you you know like and i find the same thing in myself like i just can't let um i can't let my mom down to an extent like I can't follow the yeah. same path and uh, I know she didn't want to follow that path um, or I like to think that and um, you know I just want more people to talk about you know the stuff they went through I think that what you've done here is a great thing you know having people because um, like I said it, it, it is it's hard to talk to the news it's hard to talk to uh, me about some of the stuff you've gone through that's why I, I commend you for doing it when you did it um, having a camera in your face is a lot different than, you know, me sitting in my living room comfortable um, with my crooked mural on the back, it looks like, um, you know, talking about life, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not quite the same. It feels a little bit more reverse, rehearsed, I guess, but um, just, I don't know, I want uh, people to know that I think it's important to um, get these things, for lack of a better term, into the mainstream and get these topics into the mainstream. Um you know, because everybody, you know, struggles with mental health. Um, I tell people this all the time. Everybody's mother dies. Um, yeah. It's not a unique thing to me. It's not something that, uh, you know, I sh- think I should let um, 
let uh, completely, you know, take over my life because it's, it's gonna, you know, unfortunately that's the, that's reality of life and death. You know, it happens to um, a lot of the people we love. Well, it happens to all the people we love. Um, And I think uh, in a way you have to keep that perspective and you have to think about the good things. Uh, Remember the bad things, Um, let grief hit you when it hits you, you know, like I said, it's good to have hobbies and it's, it's good to do stuff, but you can't completely distract yourself into one thing because uh, like me, it might all hit you at once, you know? Yeah. Um, Especially, you know, when, when COVID hit off, this was a very tough thing for me. Um, Yeah. I I, I feel like, I feel like that was one of the hardest, um, you know, yeah, sure. It was busy at work, but at the same time, um, I think when it hit, like it just kind of, um, I was stuck at home and I wasn't doing as much of the things as I was doing. Even at work, I was interviewing people like this over Skype um, and, yeah. and Zoom. And I wasn't, you know, it's just the product of the way the world was. I wasn't allowed to go out and be face to face with people and uh, feel like I could reach out and touch somebody the way I, uh, the way I was before. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, none of this is what anybody signed up for to an extent. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I feel like whenever I was going through that and I had a lot more downtime, that was whenever I was like, oh, wow, like I didn't think about this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I started to talk to my wife about it. And, um, you know, our relationship got a lot better at the time we were living with my brother. And, you know, uh, we, uh, there was a strain in our relationship because I was using you know, um, kind of what I went through as a crutch and having my uh, stepdad's house as a crutch. Right. Yeah. And I was like, you know. Um, I'm married and I'm living with my little brother. I think it's time for me to get out and focus on myself. So, you know, I moved downtown and, uh, you know, I just started to kind of create a space for myself, create, um, you know, hobbies for myself, get things for myself. Like I was always a person that felt that I never deserved anything. Like, you know, uh, my, my wife was always the person that was like, Hey, Tony, you should buy a new pair of boots. There's holes in yours. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. and I don't know what that's a, you know, what that's about. But, um, you know, I just wasn't taking care of myself to the same extent I am now, you know, I'm trying to go to a gym much more. I'm trying to, you know, cause I don't feel people realize like uh, grief can build up and up and up in you unless you're getting it out some way, you know, whether that's physically, creatively, uh, emotionally, you know, even doing this is, is therapeutic to an extent. Like I said, this is the first time I've kind of formulated my thoughts. In fact, I don't even know if this will be the best interview you ever did. You know, I'm kind of all over the place, but. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine, man. It's fine. It, it's uh, it's what it's about, you know, it's just sharing your story as it comes. Right. I think, yeah. I think that's the best way for people, to, people can relate to it. Yeah. And I mean, I'd love to dive in a little bit more, uh, but just uh, some of the legality around <laughs> some of this stuff is uh, I have to be careful. You know, yeah. I have to use words like alleged. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, like, like I said, like, I think um, the crazy thing is, is being in the news and having myself be at the forefront of the news before um, and then doing this now, I think hopefully this uh, makes people realize, you know, I'm not just out to do stories on assignment either right like being a journalist i'm bringing a perspective of uh you know um i I care about these interviews i do and i care about things that are going on in the community and the worst thing that uh that i deal with sometimes is i'll have people reach out to me about mental health on pei or housing issues on pei and they'll talk to me and they'll say i want to keep this off the record i don't want my name out there and sometimes that's just not how it works. You know, I need a face. I need a person to put through it. Um, right. But so, so maybe showing this vulnerability 
um, allows other people to show a little bit of their vulnerability. You know, like I know it's a small place. I know once you tell your story, everybody around here probably knows it, but um, I just, you know, I yeah. mean, what, what even made you want to want to talk to me? whenever you were uh because whenever i went to interview you you know it wasn't just about this podcast it was about you know losing somebody you love yeah my thing was uh like just what you're saying like to be vulnerable and i think about this a lot about you know the people i have on and and how they share like we just i hate the fact that people are scared to share their name you know and I hate the fact that they're, we're scared to say, it, it feels to me like we're scared to say what everyone's thinking. <laughs> it, to, be, to be completely honest, like, and I, I understand, like, if, if I didn't go through what I went through, I never would have shared any of this. We wouldn't be having this conversation. I know, like, none of this ever would have happened. You know, this is episode 51. Um, but I just think, like, the more we just say it, because it takes so much power out of it when you say it and then it's out there and you, you are who you are. And I think what we really fear is like rejection or people leaving us or whatever the fear, deep seated fear is. And it's like, those people aren't going to leave you because you're honest, you know? And it's like, we all have the story. Anyone who's um, saying something negative about your story they're just trying to deal with their story in a, in a way by pushing it down. Like, it's just, that's just how I, I just see it like in that way. And that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to share my story. That's why I did this. wanted to share my story. Why I, I wanted to do the interview with you and continue to have people on. It's just uh, honesty. Just be yeah. honest about it. And I, we all feel better after because we're all pretending that <laughs> in my eyes, like we're all pretending that we don't feel it. And I oh, understand absolutely. it. It's like, it's ego. It's, it's it's programming it's uh it's societal programming it's whatever it is you know it's, it's whatever however this society got to where it is now or 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 whatever it is but that's just how i see it yeah yeah i don't know it's um you know i just uh like i said i just wish everybody tell their story about whatever you know i think everybody has a story um a traumatic story or a mental health story or something they've been through and um you know i just want to see people talk about it more and i think you've done a great job you know um i think many people in the community are doing a great job um but i also want to hear those those positive stories i want to hear about how people came out on the other side of it how what they're doing now to to deal with those things you know it's not just about this happened to me you know sometimes it's you know this happened to me and this is how it affects me now i don't think we talk about the uh the after effect uh, enough you know and that's the whole thing with this too I, i try to uh and and for anyone listening like if you want to come on feel free to reach out um but I try to have guests on that have been through it. Like for you to come on, for example, your first year of journalism, I don't know that it would be, you would have the perspective to be able to do it if you understand what I mean. So I try to have people after, and then the the number one question I ask, and you already answered it is like, what do you do on a daily basis to maintain your mental health? Cause that's really what it comes down to. It's like, we all went through something we all will. And then what are the tools and what are the, and it all seems to come back to the same thing where it's like community connection, receiving help, um, hobbies, love the whole thing. It's like, and it goes into like the wellness and the health. 
um, which I'm also very interested in, but it's, uh, I think that's super important. And that's just the message I just want to keep getting out there is, and everybody's different, you know, everybody has their own unique way of dealing with things and coming to, uh, coming to a good place. And it, the more we can share that, I think that's what's going to help others. Yeah, I think you find a lot more common ground once people start telling all this and start realizing, you know, um, some lives aren't all that different, you know? Yeah. Like like I said, I don't think my story is uh, unique, um, but I don't think enough, um, you know, I've known people who have gone through similar things but have not, uh, not spoken out about it and, you know, teach their own. But I think the more uh, people speak out about it, the, um, it's only the, the better, the better it'll become, you know? Um, a lot of people want to um, maybe, uh, especially right now during COVID, people kind of view uh, PEI as, you know, a safe haven to an extent, you know, but, um, you know, things go on here and things happen here that uh, sometimes don't make the news and sometimes don't, uh, don't get out there because a lot of people are, uh, are worried about uh, their self-image and, and I mean, I can understand that. Like I said, this is the first time I've done an interview uh, since my mom has passed and it's been, years you know i think it's a very i think it's a very personal thing i like i think i have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody that 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 comes on here um because i did my story uh i think it was episode nine or ten and it was just like you think you could tell your story but when you actually sit down and like tell it start to finish and you have to like you're going back and these aren't like pleasant memories and there's trauma there and you got to like organize it. And then it's not easy to do it all. And then, you know, you're going to put it on the internet too. Right. So it's out there. So I um, respect anybody that that does it. And I also don't think like, you know, it's not for everyone to, to, to share. You don't have to share everything with everybody. I just think that like the main message is like to, to, to share it, you know, whether that's like with a loved one or with help, but like, don't keep it in. No, because but the, that's when it, that's when it goes awry. And uh, the other thing is, is you can become uh, obsessed with uh, your <laughs> worry in the, to an extent, right? Like uh, I was coming out of journalism school and, um, you know, I got a job at the Guardian, an internship at the Guardian, and I got a job at CBC. And uh, sometimes I, I would think, um, okay, maybe people are doing this for me because they have pity on me. Maybe they know what I went through. And they're yeah. like, oh, oh, God, this is a kid whose mother died. Like, we should throw him a bone. Yeah. And uh, that's always been something that's uh, that's terrified me. Then I go on and realize that nobody's knows any of this stuff, you know? And then you feel yeah. silly and you feel ridiculous. And, uh, you know, because, like, you just put an onus on that vacuum you've been living in, you know? Yeah. And thinking, like, oh, okay, you know, uh, <laughs> the pity party started, you know, but it's um, – it's not like that a lot of the time, you know, because uh, I think a lot of people who've been through, uh, been through things can say, you know, um, people only uh, care about this because uh, of the story I have or the backstory I have or the things I have to have to tell because of the backstory. And uh, I think I, I disagree with that. I think people need to recognize their, their talents and stuff. And uh, what happened to them is just um, something they can use to, um, to put into those talents or, um, you know, yeah. 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 And you get so wrapped up in it that you can't see anything else. Right. You think that everyone knows and you, you're just so that's where you are all the time. You think that yeah. everyone knows that's where, but like in reality, it's just like, 
here's Tony, you know, just a, he's a cool dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's just it. Right. And, uh, you know, it was kind of weird for me because to an extent, I never really cared what anybody thought about me, but after my mom died, I was like, Oh God, now everybody thinks I'm not a kid whose mom died, you know? So yeah. I tried to do things to make myself like a, change the narrative a little bit, like even uh, in Holland college, um, you know, um, my instructors were some of the coolest people. Like they believed in me and they supported me and all the things I did helped me land, you know, uh, the job opportunities, things like that. Um, but, you know, even going through there, it was like, there was a contest to, to win a car, you know? And uh, <laughs> it's like, I needed to win that car because I needed to do something different to, to change uh, what I went through. Somebody else, so they have something else to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which was insane because nobody was talking about anything right yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah but um but like that's another thing is um i guess like just to just a segue onto that is uh another thing i really used is the power of uh positivity you know i would always uh i would have a lot of negative thoughts and think about my mom like every other day you know for a long time there but then i would get up and uh, just the power of saying you know today's going to be a good day whether it's going to be a good day or not putting it out in the universe, saying positive things versus like, it even comes to like driving you in the street in Charlottetown and being like, I'm not going to get a goddamn parking spot. Like as soon as you speak it, sometimes I feel like it becomes yeah. a reality and it becomes a frustration. So yeah. I try to say, you know, I'll get here on time or I'll, and it's just, I know that sounds ridiculous probably, but it's just these little, little things in my life that keep me motivated and keep me like, you know, moving forward, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, just anything like that. And I think doing more of that and, and then switching it around uh, really helps, you know, like just getting into bed, even if you feel like crap today, you could even say, you know, um, it's a beautiful day and I should get some fresh air. You know, it's, it's yeah. find something you can, uh, you can start your day with positively versus negatively for a very long time. I would wake up and just start with negative thoughts because of, you know, what I was dealing with. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, uh, not speaking those negative things and even like the, like the power of positivity, like with this uh, car at home college, uh, an example is uh, I didn't, uh, like I, I came home one day and I sat a pamphlet down uh, in front of Jess and I said, uh, I'm going to win that this year. And she was like, yeah, okay. And in six months I had that car in my driveway. <laughs> so, right. so what was a... Uh... What was it? What was it like a competition? Yeah. So it's like earn a car, right? So it takes like the top people in like, well, not necessarily, it's not necessarily big based on marks. It's based on like how hard you work and like work initiative and like, you know, applying yourself in class. So it was across all of Holland college. And eventually I got narrowed down uh, from the journalism program um, and went there with six other people. And they basically said, you know, why do you want this car? What will it do for you? And, um, to be honest with you, I had no money for next year's tuition. Um, I went to school because I was like, you know, I just need to do something. Um, my, uh, my uncle actually helped me pay my, uh, my first year's tuition. Um, and it was like, you know, all the bags in one basket. I went through a government program to help subsidize and pay for some of it. Um, so, you know, if I didn't win that car, I probably would have never graduated, uh, journalism school. I probably wouldn't be working where I'm working and doing the things I'm doing. I would have never got married. Um, it's wow. just, but I, but I told myself, you know, um, give yourself a goal and, and think positively about it. And it's amazing the things you can do, you know, uh, the ambition you can create within yourself. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah, you know, like even um, to an extent, this is uh, this is another wild thing. Um, 
I never thought I'd work at CBC. I thought I would work at the Guardian or some newspaper or go to New Brunswick and work for uh, the Irvings of Brunswick and Rose, something like that. That's looked, that looked like where it was heading. I was uh, driving by CBC and it was getting uh, renovations uh, for the longest time. And I would look at Jess every single day and I'd say, uh, don't worry, babe, they just put my office in every <laughs> single day. And uh, they had an opening for somebody to do Storm Center. And what it was, was essentially you, uh, you're dealing with all the cancellations. You're getting all the calls for, you know, churches closed on Sunday, stuff like that. I was never supposed to be a writer or a reporter or anything like that. But um, as soon as I got in that door and the confidence I had, and because I feel like it's because I told myself every day, like my office is going to be in this building. Um, I got more opportunities, you know, I'm a video journalist, I'm doing stuff on TV, I'm doing stuff on radio. And I think it's because of that positivity and uh, that outlook I had to say, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to be there, you're going to, you know, and half of it's showing up, just even saying you're going to be there, who cares what you do when you get through the door, as long as you get there, it's half the battle. Showing up and hard work, I imagine it sounds like. Like oh yeah starting from like putting in all that work to get the car and and going right into cbc yeah and that was kind of part of uh not dealing with the grieving process was uh you know and then now i'm getting better at that right like um but um like i said i think that helped me a lot too like it was a catch-22 it was the fact that i would wake up and have goals that i was leading towards but at the same time what's scary is when you start knocking off those goals and you have no other ones. Yeah. Working at CBC was a 10 year plan for me, right? Like I was like, I'll get in the industry. Maybe CBC will notice me. Maybe I'll, you know, <laughs> end up being on as it happens in the national one day, you know, but uh, I didn't think it was going to happen right out of, uh, out of school in the first couple of years. And when that happened, I think that's whenever I started to deal with uh, more of the grieving process and started to be like, okay, I have to use certain mechanisms to deal with this because I had no other goal. I was there, right? Like, I mean, right now I'm not uh, not hired uh, full time. I'm a casual employee, but I mean, hopefully it gets there sometime. You know, yeah. um, it, it will get there sometime. You know, like, see, that's the things you, yeah, those yeah, the yeah. little subtle things you have to say and do and put it into the universe. Yeah. I feel, and that's the other thing is I'm not a religious guy. I'm not a spiritual guy. Um, but to an extent, I think we all need to have things we believe in. You know things that motivate us, things that, um, like, I'm not a big horoscope dude, man, but if, um, you wake up and, uh, your horoscope is what, uh, makes you feel meaningful, all the power to you. Do you feel like, uh, after, after the death, did you feel more of these kind of feelings where you had to be positive or, um, kind of a feeling of, you know, they say like, like they're with you now or just this kind of feeling like, did you have any of those kind of feelings? Um, the with you now kind of feeling, um, that's a tough question for me to answer. Cause I don't know. I don't know what I believe in. I don't know, you know, um, in that type of thing. But a weird thing is like sometimes in some symbolism, you just can't, um, you know, you, you want to grab on to some meaning there and whether it actually means anything, I don't think it matters. You know, like uh, my mom used to sing the song, um, 
Black Velvet. Uh, like that was her tune. That was the song she sang. She sang it so great, you know. Uh, and uh, I think it was right after her. Uh, yeah, it was right after her funeral uh, in Canada. Day. I was driving home and I turned on the radio, and uh, a song was just finishing. And the first song I played was that one. Yeah. And it's like you know, sometimes you're just like, "Thanks, universe." You know, like, uh, yeah. "Thanks for giving me one today." You know, I'm yeah. a positive memory. Yeah. So I mean, I, like to that extent, um, yeah, I feel like they're 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 with uh with you too. You know, I think it's important to think that um, I don't know, in some way, shape, or form, maybe uh, maybe things carry on. Yeah. Yeah, I had a a lot of the experience like that. And it's almost like, you know, call it the universe, you can call it coincidence, you can call it just, doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but it, it does matter at the time to you because it helps, <laughs> it helps you, you know? I, um, I never saw it, like this is another example. Like, and I know maybe you look for meaning in things that, you know, don't have meaning, you know, correlation and causality and all that stuff. But, um, one time I was at my grandparents and this was after my uh, mom had passed and uh, a fox just came out of the woods while I was outside having smoke. And uh, I'd never seen a fox in my grandparents before. And it stood like maybe like five feet away from me and just stared for like a good minute, minute and a half. And then just walked on. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like, why, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes you think, you know, just like all of all the times that uh, those things could happen. Um, I've had a lot of experiences, the same thing with like music and uh, yeah, just things that you like, especially at the time and the mindset you're in, you're like, how could that possibly just be coincidence? You know, yeah. and people might hear that and be like, it is. And I can understand that point of it too. Like it is just coincidence. Like. Sure. You could hear that story and just be like, yeah, it's just a fox. And like, you get that, but it's like, you don't, you, it's impossible for you to understand unless you're, you went through it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know and I mean? like I said, maybe we do look for meaning and um, stuff that doesn't have it. But at the same time, I think that was a cool moment. I think about it all the time. Yeah. I don't know if that was, uh, you know, I don't know if that hello. was a sign or my mom saying hello or, or whatever, you know, but, uh, but I think uh, maybe you know, regardless, those moments you should um, you should cherish those small moments anyway. If a song comes on that reminds you, God, you should love that. Or you know, a fox comes out of the woods, or you snap the you know get get a perfect moment like that. Um, maybe it's not even you know a significant other or a spirit or somebody you lost. Maybe it's just the world as a whole or uh, the universe just being like, hey, it's still beautiful here. Yeah. Yes. And I think that was like a perspective for me that it changed was like, a, it, it kind of changed, like it changes your perspective on, on, on life um, from the death perspective, like, like everyone's going to die and, and all that stuff and kind of what you said earlier. And then you start thinking about like other people hoping they don't just die and everything, but it also just changes your perspective on like how beautiful it is while you're here, you know? Uh, like, I mean, I'll even tell you, like, um, I don't even think until I started processing this, I was 
loving my wife properly like now it's like you know if i get a kiss on the cheek like you have no idea how good that feels like it's just uh just the love she gives me is like wow you know i uh despite what i've been through despite what i feel there's and it's not just her you know it's um it's friends that go to leave my house or i go to leave their house and they say i love you every single time you know it's about that sometimes and it's about putting it out there and you know letting people know they're loved um you know I think that's important. And I think, uh, like I said, a support group's important. Having friends, having, um, you know, maybe significant others who just um, make you want to be a good person, make you want to get up and uh, try to contribute to this society because you look around, it's like, hey, look at all these great people who are, uh, who are part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like the, uh, the people you love, right? Like the family and friends are like family, you know, like yeah. just the people you love. And it's weird, I think, uh, going through trauma, like I can sit here and talk to you about uh, about my mom dying, about her being 70 pounds, about a dirty needle, about um, drug addiction and my own mental health. But as soon as I start talking about the people I love, my uh, my eyes tear up, you know, yeah. it's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing for me. And, uh, you know, it just makes you want to be like, Hey, you know, this, uh, it, it baffles me that like, uh, what I've been through sometimes that, uh, other people go through the same thing. And it's such a, uh, I don't know. It's just so many good people that care about other people more than they care about themselves. Yeah. For sure, man. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a good perspective to have. I think sometimes we get lost in, uh, like meaningless shit you know oh yeah yeah. politics and and whatever and we kind of forget like you know we all it goes back to mental health we all have mental health we all love each other we all have the same feelings you know we're all all we're all just people doing our thing you know it's just uh, yeah that's what it is and it gets really really messy Yeah. yeah yeah it can for sure yeah um well I think this seems like a good place to own it. Uh, ended, Tony. I want to say yeah, thanks good. so much for uh, for coming on and sharing, man. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Thanks and thanks for giving for, me the uh, opportunity to do this. Yeah. No, it was um, it was really good to have you on. I, I want to thank you again for having me on CBC uh, around oh, a year course. ago. Of course. No, it's always but, good to see what's going on in the community, and uh, that's another shout out I should give. Just let me wipe these tears out of my eyes. One second. I'm a professional. <laughs> so, you know, like uh, that's kind of uh, coming on here too, right? Is uh, the fact that maybe, you know, some more people will feel like opening up about their story. I don't care if that's them telling you their story, telling me their story. Feel free to reach out anytime. You know, um, I've got an email address. It's uh, anthonydavis1902 at gmail.com. That's my personal email address. Um, whether you want to reach out, talk about uh, some of the things that you've been through, some of the mental health struggles, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always down to try to tell those stories and I, I hope to. That's awesome, man. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, definitely reach out. I'll, uh, I'll plug your email in the description. Thanks. And uh, before you go, I'm going to send you um, a box of salts, cooking salts. That is from the uh, Prince Edward Island Sea Salt Company. The, our uh, sponsor so 40% of proceeds um, go directly to uh, mental health programming here in PEI. So uh, I'll send you a box of those. 
I like to cook. I like to use salt. I don't have any in the house right now. Believe oh, it or not. Uh, listen, I got a box coming your way. Four different That's kinds a, of salt. That, see, this is what I'm talking about. PEI, you've got good neighbors. And where else in PEI does somebody, I mean, where else in the world does somebody still go to their neighbor and say, hey, man, here's some salt. <laughs> yeah. A cup of salt, you know? Yeah. A cup of sugar, maybe, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it with salt. Cup of salt. Yeah. I got hey, you, boy. I got I'm you. Gonna, box coming just, your way, sir. Imagine if I just fire it out on the step just to take care of the ice. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> This solid, solid. Thank you. It's like just this fine, great, great, you know, cooking salt. It's like, hey, hey, hey. not going to slip. I got you, boy. (laughs) All right, Tony, this was awesome, man. Thanks so much for sharing. No problem. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.